life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Hello, and welcome to 80s Movie Montage, our special edition from the surface of the sun. I'm Derek. <laughs> and I'm Anna. And today's movie is, of course... Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Which is a pretty good movie, it turns out. It's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, it is the second of the John Hughes films that we are covering. Bloodsport or, or wasn't? The, the... <laughs> no. I thought Oddly he, enough. I thought he wrote that story It feels the week. very John Hughes-esque, I know. A but bit. <laughs> No, so, uh, yeah, this is the second of, I guess I should say, like, kind of his teen films that we'll be covering. I'm sure we'll venture out into others, but these, these in particular I love. Yeah. So, uh... We have an amazing guest that we, as always, had an amazing conversation with about this movie. So we're going to dive in so we could get to her sooner than later. We learn a lot about the movie and a lot about ourselves. A lot about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So like I mentioned, uh, another John Hughes film. This one came out in 1986. And because... We did cover John Hughes in our very first episode, which was on The Breakfast Club. Mm -hmm. I'm going to kind of a little bit sweep past him. And if our listeners want to learn more about John Hughes, I recommend that they go back to that first episode. And I would say if you want to listen to a podcast that almost doesn't even seem like it's the same podcast <laughs> as the one you're listening to right now. Go listen to that Breakfast Club and you'll also learn about John Hughes. Yeah. You know, you grow, you change, yeah. much like some uh characters do in john hughes films so exactly. yes yeah so please you know uh go easy on us if you go back to that very first episode i wonder how many people just listen to that first episode and like nah not for me and then maybe maybe they see Bloodsport and they're like maybe i'll give you guys maybe one more i'll chance. give it a chance yeah um but yes it was it was both written and directed by john hughes so that's where he takes credit um one thing that so we we have done this before i believe i did this with um uh raiders of the lost ark mm -hmm. but i feel really similar uh feelings i guess you would say about this film as i do about that in terms of casting and i wanted to give it's a like shout really out really good it's really good i mean we talk about this with our guest how I, you know, for better or for worse, Matthew Broderick will always be identified with this role. Yeah. Alan Ruck will always be Cameron. identified. Yeah. I mean, m maybe he doesn't want that, but. Yeah. I mean, it's, maybe neither of them want that. It's a whole conversation <laughs> about what that means to the actor to always be identified with a single role. I would say the fact that I identify Ben Stein mostly with his role, maybe he does want that. Maybe he should want that. <laughs> maybe he should want that. So I want, yeah, I want to give some props to the individuals who are behind the casting of this film because, you know, I think a lot of people would agree. I'm sure there's some outliers, but that Matthew Broderick pretty much is perfect as Ferris Bueller in this film. He is so much that I was really confused when I saw Ferris Bueller in a Godzilla movie. Right? Yeah. No, exactly that. So, okay. So the two people that are credited for the casting in this film, they go by or... I don't know why I'm saying that as if it's an alias. Um, <laughs> their names are Janet Hershenson. All right. And Jane Jenkins. So very similar to when we did uh, speak about the people behind the casting of Raiders, a lot of these individuals kind of work as like partnerships. Mm -hmm. um, doesn't mean that they do every single casting project together, but I wanted to highlight uh, no less than 20 different films that these women are behind. And I hope that, 
I, I really, really hope that for our listeners that this shows just how important this role can be because I want to give you and, and I had to severely pare down all of their credits uh, that they're responsible for. But here here are just some of the films that they worked on for casting. Play it on me. Red Dawn. Okay. The Sure Thing. I, I wanted to highlight some of the 80s greats since mm-hmm. this is what we do. Real Genius. Bang up job on that one. I knew you would appreciate that one. Yeah. Stand By Me. Yeah. Adventures in Babysitting. Okay. The Princess Bride. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. So we must have brought her up in that episode. Uh, well, I don't talk about casting in every single one. So okay. so that's the thing is that like these people should be recognized more. But um, and, and sure, I would say that like there are iconic casting choices in Princess Bride. But um, there's one in particular. I'm waiting to see if it uh, made your list. OK, OK. Yeah. Um, so moving on, planes, trains and automobiles. So it seems like they also kind of have a relationship with John Hughes because they've come on for a couple of his other films um beetlejuice okay another iconic casting of michael keaton willow mystic pizza oh man willow's so good so good when harry met sally ghost home alone another john hughes yep a few good men all right and and i mean there are like as if all those films aren't great already but like jurassic park really yep wow mrs doubtfire okay apollo 13 space jam a Beautiful Mind, and The Da Vinci Code. Those are just some of the films that How these women have cast for. dare you omit what? Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins and Remo Williams' The Prophecy, a TV movie, which I have never seen. Well, whose who's IMDb are you looking at right now? I'm looking at uh, hers, actually. Well, I named two women, so who, which her? Janet. Okay. <laughs> so maybe, maybe the reason why I didn't include them is... It's oh, your list pop- was from both of from both of them. Okay, yeah, that's probably not the real reason why I didn't list that movie, but let's just say that. Um, I mean, I'm double checking them both right now. But, but to to my point, like yeah, it's both of them. It's um, <laughs> <laughs> well. In any case, um, yeah. So that's how important casting can be. Yeah. I mean, when you follow all these like really amazing films and Ferris in particular. Okay. I mean, it's easy to forget that. It's like, oh, sure, yeah, of course, sure. of course, John Candy is is in a plane train. Yeah, of exactly. course, Steve Martin. Exactly. But someone actually to go through that process mm-hmm. and, and fill those roles. Yeah, and that's what I like to kind of shed a little bit of light on sometimes because these people often don't get their their recognition that are that's due. They almost never do. Almost never do. Yeah. Um, okay, moving on to cinematography. Who shot this film? Okay, so this is an individual that. I mean, again, super, super impressive resume. Uh, it's a gentleman by the name of Tak Fujimoto. Mm-hmm. And I I was shocked when I saw his list of credits because I was like, oh, wow, had no idea. I mean, this guy, one of his earliest credits is Badlands. Wow. Which I don't know if... Uh, so we can't really talk about this gentleman on the show because he didn't really do anything in the 80s as far as I know off the top of my head. But Terrence Malick, an amazing filmmaker, amazing director. This is one of his films. And one of the things that is very much associated with his work is just beautiful cinematography. And that all goes back, at least for this film, to talk Fujimoto. Um, also, did talk about like range, Death Race 2000. Nice. Yeah, I thought you would like that one. I, don't, I didn't really like that one, but oh, you didn't. Yeah. It's a it's wacky. <laughs> um, Pretty in Pink, so okay. another Hughes film. Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. 
uh, singles. I mean, again, this guy just goes back and forth. Every genre. Uh, Philadelphia. Devil in a Blue Dress. That Thing You Do. The Sixth Sense. And Signs. Two, my, my two favorite M. Night Shyamalan. I'm yeah, his name we'll, just, we'll just move on. <laughs> yeah. uh, films. And then I wanted to give props because he wasn't the cinematographer. But again, uh, going back to some of his earliest work, he was second unit photography on Star Wars. That's pretty impressive. Pretty cool, right? And uh, director of photography for a gladiator. Oh, I missed that one. But I don't think it's the same gladiator. No, it's the boxing gladiator. I Whoops. didn't think so. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I think I feel like I would have picked up on that one. Okay. I always hated turning on the TV and seeing gladiator and expecting Russell Crowe asking me if I was entertained and seeing some boxing movie. Yeah, it's always a risk when you like use the same name as another film. Anyway. Um, okay, another individual that I wanted to bring up that we don't typically talk about this part of the movie-making process, costume design. Okay. The reason why I wanted to bring it up is because the as Gordy iconic... Howe jersey? Yeah. <laughs> I, really? I, well, partly. Okay. I mean, okay, so uh, sidebar conversation. <laughs> that is literally the one thing that's always bothered me about this film is <laughs> I have to be looking at this. I mean, look, I love Gordy House, so it's fine. But I have to be looking at this Red Wings jersey, the, almost the entirety of the film. I mean, I think I've seen one... Um possible explanation is that Cameron does it just because they live in Chicago and he's just that kind of person where he just as kind of like an F you to Chicago he's like I'm gonna wear a Red Wings jersey all the time I came across a lot of different theories of why this jersey is in the film Hughes was a Red Wings fan right um yeah so that's the thing is and a White Sox fan yeah yeah, we'll get to Weird. well, well, let's we could just go to it now. So, like, yeah, okay. So, sorry, I'm, I'm derailing this and sending it into many different directions. No, it's all good. It's all good. So, the reason why I wanted to bring up costume design is because of everything we were just talking about. The fact that like there's this very iconic look that both Cameron and Ferris have because yeah. Ferris, like, as soon as you think of Ferris Bueller, you're thinking of that leather jacket. You're thinking of that, uh, you know, what the is it, beret? leopard, oh. leopard sweater vest yeah. that he wears underneath it. Yeah. So, so they have this really iconic look to them and that goes back to costume design so the woman behind it she she actually again like highly successful career but probably rarely brought up um marilyn vance and she definitely has um a relationship with john hughes it is a name that i'm familiar with because she's in so many of his or works on so many of his films or did but um, among some of her other credits fast times at ridgemont high all right romancing the stone Amazing. Which will be our next episode, actually. Uh, the Breakfast Club, another film where they all have really iconic attire. Uh, this is Marilyn Vance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Weird Science, some kind of wonderful, so very strong relationship with John Hughes. Uh, the Untouchables. Yeah, I think I wouldn't be surprised if she got more attention for for like a period type of piece yeah, like that versus that typically they do you know that's why the work that she's done in like 80s movies people just kind of like assume that it's like part easy of the era just to, yeah. yeah we'll just emulate that 80s look. right um i needed to throw this in because it's such a contrast to her other credits predator okay yeah right <laughs> throw amazing. Ma- right throw mama from the train all right the great outdoors die hard nice and Pretty Woman All right. are among some of her credits. Uh, another film, Pretty Woman, definitely. She has some iconic outfits in that film. So, yeah. Go Marilyn Vance. Yeah. I mean, I guess at the time, she wasn't trying to make the 80s look 
in the sense of it being they were made in the 80s now we just right. kind of take it as a matter of like yeah of course yeah but it was but it was spot these on are all like i mean here's the thing we can have a very long rabbit hole conversation about it but it the costume design is it's so important because you are immediately learning something about the character the second they walk on the screen given what they're wearing it's true it is it absolutely informs who the character is and so you know don't discount the role that these people have on these films it is really really important um i thought they just showed up wearing what they're going to be filmed in and everyone's like cool i mean sometimes that happens on really, really well on really super low budget okay. stuff you know or sometimes um i mean i have heard that like directors sometimes want the actors to bring in what they think that character so so it can be very collaborative and I know for a fact that on the breakfast club they just weren't finding the right outfit for Molly Ringwald's character Claire really and so yeah they just like couldn't quite nail it down and so if I remember correctly Hughes and Ringwald like just went to the mall and she picked out her own outfit so that is one outlier but that usually doesn't happen that way I bet Harrison Ford just showed up looking like Han Solo absolutely yeah or Indy with the hat both yeah. um okay moving on uh so the editor on this film Paul Hirsch again uh crazy resume he cut a little movie called Star Wars uh, I'm not familiar with that. Is that anything like A New Hope? <laughs> right. The first one. Yeah. So crazy. Creep Show. <laughs> that movie has not aged well as a, as a horror film. No. It's but... pretty It's pretty bad, in fact. Yeah. We, we watched it last we year. Wa yeah. Les yeah. The, the one with Leslie Nielsen, right. I think, is the one where and Ted, Ted Danson. Yeah. Good Lord. I know. <laughs> it's so bad. I know. It's but it's it, fun. We, it's we like, might be watching in the next month or so. Yeah, it's super campy fun, but good job on the editing. Yeah. Footloose. Okay. The Secret of My Success, which I love that movie. I know that's not exactly like has mass appeal, but we might be covering it at some point. Mm -hmm. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. All right. So another huge film. Mission Impossible, the very first one. First one was, was great. Yeah. Second one, not great at all. Everyone after number two, pretty good. Yeah. Ray. The Jamie Foxx film. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, not our favorite of this movie, but he did the 2017 The Mummy. Oh, I'm sorry. That's worse than The Adventures of Pluto Nash. He also worked on that. Oh, okay. Okay. So, moving on to this cast that we've kind of already brought up several times. Of course, the star of this film, Matthew Broderick, who plays Ferris Bueller, um, has had... A long career since however like i said i think a lot of people identify him with this role pretty strongly um but among some of his other credits war games lady hawk we'll be covering these films at some point yeah lady hawk is amazing i can't wait to watch that yeah i know and you're really excited about like, that one there's a little there is that slight nod to war games in ferris bueller's right. day off with mm -hmm. the changing like him hacking into the computer mm -hmm. at school he is often a computer hacker yeah uh project <laughs> <He> x <is. laughs> Um, here's what I thought was interesting. So I noticed in his credits, it's uncredited, but apparently he, he, uh, is in, she's having a baby as Ferris. Wow. Really? So I was like, okay, we're going to have to go back to that movie yeah. to see where that comes up. And by that, I, I'll, I'll like read the Wikipedia thing. Maybe I'll, I'll do some investigation. <laughs> so actually one film that I, it is, it is a hard watch because it is so, 
emotionally impactful, but glory. It is. Yeah. It's, it's a, I mean, it's weird. I have most of my memories of that movie are watching it in school. Me too. That was, I yeah. think that was how public school taught you about the civil war and private school. Really? All right. Yeah, well, we awesome. definitely watched it in school and uh, I believe it's an 89 movie. So I think it is something that we can cover at some point, nice. but um, for anybody who hasn't seen it, it is a tremendous film it has a beautiful score and Matthew Broderick among I mean he's just one of several amazing actors in it um Carrie Elways is in it Denzel Washington is in it Morgan Friedman is is in it I believe Denzel Washington won his first Oscar for that role for Hmm. supporting actor I want to say um but in my uh least favorite Jim Carrey movie well I don't know he I, I there are probably other Jim Carrey movies that I like less than The Cable Guy, but The Cable Guy. Oh, we're getting it back to Matthew Broderick. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was like, Denzel Washington was in a movie with Jim Carrey. I was really confused. <laughs> Maybe they are. I don't know. It's possible. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah, no, The Cable Guy with Matthew Broderick just made me. Yeah. Uh, it just made me cringe the whole time. But if I may, I, I won't go on too long. But I just want to say that like. If you end up watching Glory, just oh, yeah. literally have a box, of t- an entire box of tissues with you because the end is heart wrenching, but it is so so good. Um, okay, and actually, Cable Guy was the very next credit I had for him after that. So another great film that he's in uh, plays a very different character, Election. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and we talked about that with our guests. So great movie. The producers. He, okay, so I had to bring up another really kind of weird credit for him because I was like, what is this about? I've never seen this movie, New Year's Eve. It's one of those like ensemble flicks that came out, I think, around like 2000. I don't even know. But he's credited. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's how little I really care about it. But um, he has an uncredit credit as Mr. Bueller Tun. That's great. So I, I'm like, okay, I might just watch that movie for that because I want to see what that's about. We got to check out a couple of these now. Right. And then he has other multiple cre- – he's in Trainwreck as Matthew Broderick. I know we've both seen bits and pieces of that movie. Nice. He has a credit again as Matthew Broderick in the Jim Gaffigan show. All right. Yeah, I don't know. And then he's, uh, I guess, on the show Better Things or has been. So interesting credits yeah, for him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, moving on to a gentleman you brought up a little bit ago, Alan Ruck, who plays Cameron Fry. Uh, another, and we talk about this uh, at length with our guest about, you know, the breadth of his career and in, in that he has continued to work up until this very day. Um, but some of his credits, uh, I guess he had a part in Three Fugitives. I haven't seen that in a really long time. It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, also, Young Guns 2. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's the film where I was like, oh, yeah, it's Cameron. Speed. Mm-hmm. Guy on the bus. Yeah, guy on the bus. Twister. I do definitely remember him from Twister. Yes, he was very enthusiastic about researching uh, weather anomalies. I feel like a lot of people in that film were were very enthusiastic they were, about it. <laughs> they were all about it. They were all about it. Um, you mentioned it while we were talking with our special guest, Spin City. Mm-hmm. So he had a long uh, reoccurring role in that. I guess he's in the happening, but I don't, I don't, I feel like I've just kind of blocked a lot of that movie out of my memory. Yeah, I, I mostly just uh, <laughs> remember Wahlberg going like, it's in the trees. It's in the trees. It's in the grass. So okay. he was on the TV series, The Exorcist, 
for a while, but I never caught that. Mm. Um, and then also, as our guest brings up, he is currently on Succession, which yeah. is a highly successful HBO. It is a say. highly successful show that we have not watched. That we have not watched. Okay, moving on to Sloane Peterson, played by Mia Sarah. Crazy, we were just watching this yesterday. Yeah. Her very first acting role was for Legend. That was like her very first credit. Which Isn't is that crazy? Weird movie. Weird movie. Ridley Scott movie. Yeah, Tom Cruise. Yep. Um, Tim Curry. Yeah. So she, I mean, I feel like some people are like, oh, whatever happened to her? I mean, she has almost 50 acting credits uh, on IMDb. So it's not like she went anywhere. But like I kind of get into with our guests, sometimes these people, they're working. It's just things that maybe not everybody is seeing. Yeah. Um, but she also, some of her credits, A Stranger Among Us, Time Cop, Chicago Hope, Birds of Prey. So some of her credits. I remember the uh, collection of stories, Nightmares and Dreamscapes, which is from Stephen King. And she played a, a role in, in that TV miniseries as well. Oh, okay. She was credited with the role of Beautiful Passenger. That sounds about right. There you go. She, she is a very attractive woman. Okay. So moving on to a gentleman by the name of Jeffrey Jones. Mm. Who played Ed Rooney? Okay, so uh, I'm gonna go through his credits first. Let's do that. Um, so, among some of his credits, Amadeus, which actually, from what I read, Hughes saw his performance in Amadeus and was like, that's Edward Rooney. So, he got the Edward Rooney role off of his performance in Amadeus. All right. Um, another really great film. It is an 80s film, one best picture for 1984. People should see it. Okay, Howard the Duck. Wait, are you just saying that Howard the Duck won Best Picture? No, or were you talking? You were talking Amadeus. about Amadeus. Got um, it. I was talking about Got Amadeus. <laughs> sorry for I the, thought I thought this was a lead for up for confusion. Howard the Duck. I, I I can see how people would be confused. I had never ever <laughs> dreamed of hearing an endorsement like that for Howard the Duck. But. Uh, Beetlejuice, which probably a lot of people know him from. Yeah. Um, the Hunt for Red October. He's mm, in. He yeah he is. I can't remember. I can't place him, but I do remember him being in that. Yeah. Edward. Yep. The Crucible. The Devil's Advocate, another Tim Burton film, Sleepy Hollow, Heartbreakers, which I think that's a really underrated film with Sigourney Weaver uh, and Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yeah, it's actually like a pretty con, funny. Con yeah, type of movie. it's actually yeah. pretty good. And then the TV series Deadwood. Oh, okay. Are among some of his credits. So, okay, here's the thing. Um, we don't often go into the personal lives of of the individuals who are associated with the films um on our show but i do feel like we should just very quickly um, gotta acknowledge something acknowledge yeah that um jeffrey jones uh you can go to all of our listeners um do your own research on as much as you want to what occurred in this circumstance but he is actually currently part of the national sex offender registry um got into some legal trouble uh and it looks like it wasn't something that was unwarranted. Um, he definitely acted in, uh, gosh, I don't even know what the word is. Um, I'll just say illegal. It was illegal activities that um, put him on this list. I'm going to so, say that according to the Wikipedia article that talks about Jeffrey Duncan Jones, he mm -hmm. pleaded in 2003, no contest to a charge of soliciting a minor to pose for nude photographs. Mm -hmm. So as much as I get like annoyed at the character of Ed Rooney, like 
what the fuck is with this guy's deal? Why is he such an asshole? Turns out Ed Rooney, yeah. as a character in this, is a way better person right. than Jeffrey Jones, the actual yeah. human who played him. So, yeah. And he also, to what I have read about it, was in possession of child pornography. Yeah. So, so uh, we have to acknowledge that. We, I mean, but yeah. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say moving on. Please. Yeah. To Jennifer Grey. Oh, right. Who plays Jeannie Bueller. I thought Paris's... she played Shauna. Yeah, right. It's such a weird... Not... I don't know why you would go from Jeannie to Shauna. Anyway. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. Is that, again, we kind of did a deep dive on Jennifer Grey. Because she plays Baby in Dirty Dancing. Which yes. is episode 7 of our show. Featuring special guest... Michelle Lang, who is amazing. So um, I'm going to, again, kind of sweep past her just because we we definitely talked about her at length. But putting her in a corner? I am kind of putting her in a corner. Um, But if you want to learn more about her, I would say check out episode seven. And this is going to actually probably be happening more often because we, as we go along, we're going to come across people who are in multiple films it, so for sure is going to happen yeah it is going to happen it's going to happen with the guy that we just talked about and i don't know how we're going <laughs> to bring it up every time but yeah i mean we do have Beetle, beetlejuice coming up we on. will refer people back to this episode yeah exactly um okay so moving on to some of the supporting cast cindy pickett who plays katie bueller the mother Okay. Um, so again, she's, you know, she keeps working. Um, she's done a lot of television. I mean, among some of her credits, Guiding Light, St. Elsewhere. She also was in Son in Law with uh, Polly Shore. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then a film called, I think it's a film. I think I listed it as Age of the Living Dead. Age of the Living Dead. Wow. Interesting, huh? And then <laughs> we talk about this with our guest. So I don't, I, I want to say it's probably pronounced Lehman, Lehman Ward who plays Tom Bueller, the dad. Yeah. So, yes, the parents in the film did actually fall in love and get married in real life. They they aren't together any longer, but um, but kind of a fun little story that came out of the making of the film. Uh, he also, you know, working, he was on Heart to Heart. Okay. Yep. Um, he was, we'll have to probably watch this very soon, A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Okay. He was in the film version of the Beverly Hillbillies. Ooh. This is one thing, <laughs> this is one thing that I actually, I bring up because I always think it's funny. So he was on Murder, She Wrote uh, three different times, played three different characters. He was in Matlock too. I Yes, I saw that. Yeah. And then also another, not another teen movie. Which I'm wondering if he plays maybe somebody some since it's always a spoof of he films could like be this, like a spoof of Ferris's dad. Yeah, I it, I know I've seen actually I think we own that movie. He was uh, a Secret Service guy in Independence Day. Oh my gosh, I'm looking at it right now. We do own that movie, so we'll have to maybe what, check that out. What are you looking at? Not another teen movie. Okay. Yeah. Okay, moving on to just a treasure in. In film and TV, Edie McClurg. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, she plays the secretary Grace in the film. This woman has, at this point in time, over 200 acting credits on IMDb. Among some of those credits. So in her early career, she was in the movie Carrie, the original Carrie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, the Secret of Nim. Man, that movie is, that movie is really good. It's really good. Yeah. It's very emotional. It's very dark. It's it's from that era of 
like pretty dark animated kids movies where I don't even know if kids would be allowed to watch that. Yeah, nowadays, right. It's know? like eighties kids had very different viewing <laughs> than what today's people kids. making content for kids in the eighties were like. We want to scare the shit out of these kids. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Mr. Mom, she was a bit part. Mr. Oh. Mom, yep. Back to school, planes, trains, and automobiles. She's back to school. She has she has a part in it. All right. She has a credit. Uh, now I remember her mostly from Small Wonder. Okay, I I feel like I should remember her from that, but I can't. Who it's was o- she? It's okay. I think she's like a neighbor. The she's nosy like a no- neighbor. Yeah, she's like a nosy neighbor. Um, she's having a baby. She is. The movie. Got it. So she seems like she has like a relationship with John Hughes. Um, Snorks, remember Snorks? I remember Snorks. Yeah, yeah Snorks. Valerie, I also remember her from that show, um, which okay. eventually became the Hogan family. Oh, okay. When Valerie yeah. Harper left it. Uh, Curly Sue, mm-hmm. A River Runs Through It, Flubber, and then I had to put this in, uh, Misguided. The show that had like just like a half series or a half season run, but <laughs> we hardly I, we hardly knew ye. We hardly knew ye, but um, my my teensy tiny claim to fame is that uh, the company I worked for at the time did the opening credits for the film. I feel like I brought nice. this up in another episode for some reason. It's possible. And uh, and so my high school photo is in the opening credits of Misguided, as uh, are the photos of some of my friends from high school because I asked if we could use their their pictures that's kind of a fun little thing huh okay so moving on to a gentleman some people maybe have come across his work before charlie sheen (laughs) uh i'm not gonna actually get too much into him because i feel pretty confident that we're gonna have other films and he's so big yeah um we're gonna have other films where he's more prominently featured we might shortchange the boy in police station but we'll get to him we'll get to him but like obviously people don't worry i had to bring this up though because it was like such a fun thing when we brought it up before like i think literally his very first credited film role is in grizzly 2 revenge which we have talked about we've brought it up a couple times now (laughs) we've brought it up before also in red dawn um, and Lucas, another film that we'll yeah. be bringing up. Actually, he was uh, he was primarily filming Lucas at the time that he had this like guest spot in Ferris Bueller. Um, so he's filming them simultaneously. Platoon, that's probably going to be at some point. Like that will probably be the film that we talk about him mostly in, or Major League, one of those two, because yeah. he is like kind of the star. Wall Street. Major League's going to have like a half hour disclaimer on all the things that. Can't be done now. Yeah, right. Um, he and then also he for quite a while. I think he came in once Michael J. Fox exited Spin City. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I think that's how that traded off. Um, of course, many, many, many people know him from Two and a Half Men. Yeah. And anger management. So that is Mr. Charlie Sheen in a nutshell. Um, okay, moving on to a gentleman that you mentioned earlier. I did. You know who I'm talking about. I, uh, Denzel Washington? <laughs> Is Denzel Washington in this movie? Ben Stein. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The economics teacher. Yes. Which it's... So, okay. What I read is that... Um, I don't really remember the connection between him and Hughes, but I do know that... I mean, Ben Stein really does have a background. He does. In, in economics and law. He actually comes from a family of, like renown uh it, intellectuals in the in these two realms it may explain i guess in part some of his uh political proclivities mm-hmm. yes um and 
when he agreed to do this bit role, Hughes said to him, like, literally, I want I want you to put together an economics lecture. Yeah. So outside of the roll call, <laughs> what he's doing is really a lecture that he would have done. Um, and I mean, kind of to what we were just saying, like he actually was the valedictorian of his 1970 Yale Law School class. So he's he's very smart. And I think a a lot of people probably would recognize him in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And then there was also that long running game show, Win Ben Stein's Money, Mm -hmm. that I think probably even more people would recognize him from. But he hasn't really been on anything positive that I can think of in a a while. Especially lately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But he actually kind of has parlayed this uh, between like his knowledge and this like really identifiable monotone voice of his into an acting career. I mean, thank goodness this person who obviously came from like what appeared really? to be a well-off family oh, and also yeah, good like, on him for making great... something out of himself so glad he made it work <laughs> thank goodness but among some of his other credits uh ghostbusters 2 he has yeah. a bit part in um charles in charge that show um the wonder years okay richie rich which that kind of makes sense to me uh casper and then i guess he has a he voices a character on the Fairly Odd Parents. I, I know what that is, but I haven't yeah, really same, seen it. Yeah, same. I, I just wanted to real quickly kind of, we, we've covered a little bit of like the difficulty in, in talking about Ben Stein, I mm-hmm. guess, but he did have a great, super wholesome quote about the movie and how much the movie moved him. I mean, he, he called it the most life-affirming movie possibly of the entire post-war period and said, it is to comedies what Gone with the Wind is to epics. He said, he went on to say, it will never die because it responds to and calls forth such human emotions. It isn't dirty. There's nothing mean-spirited about it. There's nothing sneering or sniggering about it. It's just wholesome. We want to be free. We want to have a good time. We know we're not going to be able to all our lives. We know we're going to have to buckle down and work. We know we're going to have to eventually become family men and women and have responsibilities and pay our bills, but just give us a couple of good days that we can look back on. And I really enjoyed that quote of his. I agree. It's a great characterization of the movie. Totally agree. Yep. And I'm really glad that you brought that up. That that is a really great quote. And I think it very well encapsulates. Is that right? I think it's right. I think that um, it's a, a thousand percent <laughs> the longest Ben Stein quote I will ever recite. Yeah, exactly. Uh, recite. Yeah, I agree. Okay, la- last shout out. Um, and again, I mean, I don't know, honestly, if we're going to bring her up. Um, it's kind of a really interesting, like, little cameo because she has gone on to have, like, a really huge career. But Chris- Christy Swanson. Buffy. But yeah, that I mean, that is movie, absolutely movie here. Yeah. yeah. So she plays Simone. I think it's in the Ben Stein class where he's doing roll call and she's the one that has this really great, <laughs> very convoluted explanation for why Ferris isn't in school. So she does. She has, you know, just a couple seconds on screen, but she does a really great job with it. Um, she also is in another. Do you know what other John Hughes film she's in? I don't. I mean, I could cheat and just click it up real quick, but I'm just going to say click, I don't. Click it up. Yeah. Um. So she is, they, she, they credit her as a duckette, but she's at the very end of Pretty in Pink when Ducky, you know. Is that just know, like a fan of Ducky? Yeah, I guess that's how they mean it. But duckette. essentially, like, Ducky tells Andy, like, go off, go with Blaine, be happy. And he's kind of, like, just looking around at prom, and then she gives him the eye. Oh. So she's at the very tail end of the okay. film. Okay, yeah, duckette. Duckette. Um, Flowers in the Attic, Knott's Landing, Hot Shots. So that's like 
much again Charlie Sheen. Yep. Um, like you said, she is the star of bu- the movie version of yeah. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I think Sarah Michelle Gellar has probably taken over the identity of that. At yeah, this point I wonder how after, she feels about that. <laughs> like seasons and seasons. Yeah. Um, she's also in the Chase, another Charlie, Charlie Sheen. Sheen film. Yeah, she's not. She um, she's just like a character in that. She's not the um, co-star. Charlie Sheen. Is no, she? I think she is. Is she? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, dude, where's my car? Dude, where's my car? Where's my car? Uh, she's on the show Psych, and then currently she's on Seal Team. Okay. So, so I've she's... heard good things about Psych. I've never watched it. Me neither. I know a lot of people are excited that it was like a movie or had more a second of it on life Peacock. or something. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you for hanging with us with that. But it, it is a huge ensemble cast. So it's like, you got to talk about these people. It is. I don't know if it was at the time, but it, it is it now. It has become that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're going to really enjoy this. So film synopsis. Oh, yeah. Here's, what, here's how it's worded. A high school wise guy is See, determined. Oh, I'll let you go. Sorry. I will start over. <laughs> <laughs> a high school wise guy is determined to have a day off from school, despite what the principal thinks of that. Okay. Sorry, first of all. That's Second okay. of all, is this like a mafia movie? Right? High school wise guy. <laughs> Who wrote that? I don't know. I do not know. Despite what the principal thinks of that. Okay, this might be the worst synopsis. It's pretty bad. Yeah. yeah they may as bad. well just said, the title character, Ferris, has a day off. Yeah, I mean... There, there, there were so many other options that they could have gone with for describing who who Ferris is. I mean, look, the I guess like when you really boil it down, yeah, he is determined to have a day off school. That that part is true, and they do bring into it the fact that there is like this conflict between him and the principal of the school, but it doesn't really do justice, and it doesn't bring Cameron into it. And Cameron is such a huge part of this film. I think that that warranted a part of the synopsis. But in any case, here's my synopsis. Sure. The most popular guy in high school shows his friend how to have a good time. Also, everything works out for him, and he proposes to his girlfriend, but they don't get married. The end. I don't know if we really. That's not need really to... a synopsis. They I don't, don't really say the end at the end of a synopsis, do they? No, they don't. I don't yeah. know if we really need to bring in the whole marriage part of it. I don't know if that is. Actually we bring it up is... a, a few times. Sure, um, and also I do think that Rooney deserves a place in that synopsis. He didn't come up in your synopsis. I was holding it against the uh, the actor. I think. Okay, yeah. we need to move past that though, because okay. like he is a part of the film. I mean, like as much as he is maybe not a great person in life, like his character is a significant part of the film. It's true. <laughs> I know you really are fighting this. Um, but, okay, as far as, like, this is something that obviously always comes up with our guests, and we ask about kind of their first memories of seeing this film. Um, I think we we both kind of go into that with her. I mean, I'd really actually more like to know how you felt about seeing it on our most recent screening. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that is, like a lot of these 80s movies, they're just randomly on, so we'll watch bits and pieces. But that's the first time I've watched it from start to finish in a while. And it's just, man, especially now, especially with, I'll say especially in 2020, yeah, and especially, especially in, like, September of 2020, it's just, like, a super wholesome. Like, yeah, they'd steal a car, technically, mm-hmm. kind of, but... 
they just go see a baseball game and like eat lunch at a fancy place. Like it was just a really nice, stupid, like kind of wacky, wholesome movie to watch. So I really enjoyed it. I, yeah, yeah, I, I really agree with everything that you said about what it means right now to watch a film like that. And yeah, I just, it, it definitely is one of those films that can um, provide a means of escape from from like the reality of the world right now i do worry a little bit for ferris like what are you going to do when you're done with high school because at a certain point you're gonna have to show up pal it's true i mean and we get into this with our guest i mean he is a character that like everything just kind of like you said seems to work out for him and i do feel like that as far as like what's gonna happen to this guy i do kind of feel like he will be okay um, I feel like he, you know, one thing you brought up actually when we were talking with our guest was, uh, so when he's hacking into the school system to change the number of days that he was absent, you do very quickly glimpse his grades. You do. And I know you, you make a really excellent point that if he can change his absent days, he can probably change his grades. I don't believe those are his real grades at all. I believe those are his real grades <laughs> because if he's smart enough yeah. to be able to hack into his school's computer system and also just pull off all the other things that he's pulled off throughout the course of the day, I think he actually probably earned those grades. I, he's he's certainly like like quick and, and clever. I don't know if he's like book smart in high school. And that was his character in um, in war games. Like he he was a really smart kid that didn't really study. So he was changing his grades in that movie. I think maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I'm not buying it. I think he I think he did change his grades. Okay. Fair. So he could be like a pretty smart kid and just not give a shit about high school. And I 100% respect that. There's lots of people like that. Yeah. There, there definitely are a lot of people. And I guess the one thing that I can probably go down this path is that he is so intelligent and needs like kind of, it seems like constant stimu- stimulation. He could probably be very bored by school. He wasn't challenged enough by high school. Right. And I have, you know, in real life have heard that a lot where kids are actually just too smart for and they and they sometimes yeah. underperform because they're just not stimulated yeah um so so that's very possible it's the teacher's fault it's the te- oh. <laughs> it's not the teacher's it's fault. it's not the teacher's fault um okay so before we dive into our conversation with our guest we actually have montages oh shit we do we have several we have several yeah. in the film so one we getting actually back to our roots. what's that getting back to our roots yeah that's right um we talk about one at length with our guest, and that's when they are they are at the Art Institute of Chicago. Yeah. Um. So I'm gonna leave that for that conversation. But um, the other one that's like, I guess the most prominent is when they are actually driving into the city. Yeah, I really like that song that they uh, start off with before they head out in the in the Ferrari. I keep calling it a Porsche. That's okay. It kind of looks like a. I mean, I'm not a car person. <laughs> I, I don't want to anger car people, but it looks like a Porsche to me. Um, yeah. And so it, look, it absolutely serves its purpose. It gets them from the suburbs into the city so we can continue moving the story along. You're right. It has a great song. It's a much longer drive than uh, what that montage would lead you to believe. It is. But that is the purpose of the montage is yeah. that it kind of cuts through all that. Um, and it sets up really well the second, essentially what is the second half of the film because yeah. it cuts to all these like glimpses of downtown Chicago, so we know exactly where we're going. You can even tell they're coming from the north side of uh, 
of that area mm-hmm. when they're on Lakeshore Drive and you mm-hmm. can see some of the buildings off to the right, which is something I definitely wouldn't have picked up on the first several times I saw it. But after having been to Chicago many times, uh, I picked that up and I really, I like- After marrying somebody from Chicago? Yeah, exactly. And it's fun to see a movie that I've seen so many times where I can still pick up new things from it. Yeah, me too. Um, So that is probably, I mean, like I said, it's a really effective part of the film. It gets us where we need to be. Um, And also what I like is that as we're, kind of getting all these different cuts of the city it's cutting back to ferris sloan and cameron and it also just shows their different personalities and what the dynamic is going to be between the three of them yeah um for the second half of the film so so it does a really good job of all of it on all counts i i would say i agree all right well i think it's about time that we bring julia into this conversation let's do it and we are thrilled to have on the show actor and filmmaker Julia Manis. Julia, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's been my dream to be on a podcast, so you are fulfilling my dream. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually do remember you mentioning that. So, so happy, happy to make that dream come true. That's why we uh, we market the podcast with "Don't just let your dreams be dreams." <laughs> Our '80s movie montage. We make your '80s dreams come true. Exactly. Um, no, thank you so much. We're so stoked to have you on the show, and this is going to be a really. I mean. Ferris Bueller, it, it, it's just fun. It's just like, yeah. how can you not enjoy it? I was mentioning that in the last episode when we were just kind of telling um, our listeners what was coming up next. I was like, I don't think I've ever met somebody who hated this movie. Yeah, that's, no, that's true. No. Yeah. I mean, how have you ever come across? I mean, we're going to definitely dive into, you know, question, well, we'll get into all of it, I promise. But like, uh-huh. have you ever come across anybody who is like, oh, no, that movie is terrible? No, I can't. I can't say that I have. It's yeah, it's a crowd pleaser for sure. I've talked to people that don't like Ferris. Sure. <laughs> sure. And we'll, we'll get to that too. Yeah. <laughs> His we'll, sister hates him. That will be. <laughs> no, I think that's actually going to be a really interesting part of our conversation because, yes, I do know that sometimes people have strong feelings about Ferris. But, but also... Um, it's pretty wholesome where like the worst thing mm-hmm. he does, I guess, is convince his friend to, well, that is kind of serious to like join right <laughs> Yeah. His friend's dad's Porsche. Yeah. Never mind. No, not well, Porsche. Well, Ferrari. Well, yeah. Ferrari. And we'll, we'll get to that too because they're actually, yeah. Okay. So let's just, there's a lot to get to, obviously. So I'm going to just jump in mm-hmm. with my leading question that I do every time, which is. If you could tell our listeners what your first experience of this film was, probably about maybe how old you were, what you mm-hmm. remember of that first experience watching it, and just how you felt about the movie. So I was in middle school. I think okay. I was in seventh grade, and I had a sleepover, and I went to art school. So um, the girl that had slept over at my house, she was like gonna do a dance to the the oh yeah song oh cool she was like (laughs) dance to that yeah like they were doing like a (laughs) yeah it was like a group group choreographed dance but um I didn't know what she was talking about she kept talking about this song I was (laughs) like what are you talking Ferris Bueller I've never seen it so she like made sat me down made me watch it and um 
And I don't really remember like what I thought initially. I think I was kind of like, eh, the first time I saw it. So I think this Yeah, yeah. I remember there was a, a kid I rode the bus with, this guy Dante, who was like obsessed with it. So I think I came in with like really high expectations. <laughs> I was expecting this like uh, cinematic masterpiece. But yeah, I think on the second viewing, I was like, oh yeah, this is this is so fun. And uh, so... Yeah, I I grew to love it. (laughs) So before you had seen this, did you already have any kind of like familiarity with John Hughes or like specifically kind of like those teen films of the 80s that he had done? Yeah, sure. Um, I think I had seen Breakfast Club at that point. Um, Yeah. And then eventually saw like Pretty in Pink and like all the other classics. Uh, I would say like... Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller are like my top two of his. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh, and Home Alone, of course. Like I always forget sure, yeah. for yeah. some reason that he made that movie or that he wrote that movie. Yeah. Which is like it, it kind of feels in the same family, but different in mm-hmm. a way. Um, but yeah, and I do remember like going into Blockbuster and seeing <laughs> the DVD every single time, like that classic cover with him, like his hands behind his head. Yep. Yep. Um, so I had like years of going to Blockbuster, like seeing that cover and being like, what's that about? So, <laughs> <laughs> Which that's actually like a great question about mm-hmm. the story because it is like a really interesting, I mean, it's so, it's so popular, but it's not really, it doesn't really follow like a traditional story format. Yeah. I mean, there's a clear beginning, middle and end per se, but mm-hmm. like, you know, I okay I guess I'm just gonna throw it over to you instead of me going on and on about it but like (laughs) how do you view the story in terms of like who Ferris is is like say the protagonist versus Cameron Uh you know what I'm like where I'm going with that with kind of like who goes through kind of the change in the film yeah that is a great point to make because like you know I rewatched it recently and I was thinking about it I was like oh nothing really happens in this movie but yeah. then when I rewatched, I was like, oh, but Cameron goes through this huge change. So it's like kind of Cameron's story. And in my mind, like, Cam- it's all about Cameron. Like, he's my favorite. And like, you know, Ferris just kind of never changes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he there's no consequences for his actions at the end of the movie. Um, so, yeah, it, to me, it is different in that way in that the protagonist doesn't appear to change. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. but I think that's also part of the like existential charm of Ferris Bueller is that it's, yeah, it's just this like, oh, he's living in the moment. He's very hedonistic and he has this effect on his friend who's like very, um, pessimistic and, and needs to, uh, relax a little bit. So in that way, need to be calling, I I don't think at his age, he'd be calling child protective services, but he's definitely (laughs) going to be needing police intervention when his dad gets home. Okay. So look, we're what about 35 years removed from Mm -hmm. when this film came out. Um, so of course in that span of time, like so many different, and we'll, we'll, don't worry, we'll get to them, but like, there's so many theories about why certain things happened or didn't happen or why the characters were portrayed the way that they were. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I actually thought like was kind of dark, um, but mm. maybe not all too unrealistic is that, so Alan Rook, mm-hmm. who plays Cameron, I think at some point he was asked like, what do you think happened to 
these kids. And he's like, mm. well, Cameron's dad killed him. <laughs> when- <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Which, I mean, it, that is awful that we're all like laughing, but it's like, yeah. he. so he comes home, sees how he destroyed not only the car, but the like garage and, and yeah. throws Cameron out, out the garage alongside the car. Oh my God. So he, yeah. So he dies. And uh-huh. then uh, Ferris and Sloan, they get married, but then eventually they get divorced. I was like, wow, that's a real dark take. You on- can have like a, <laughs> a yeah. sequel, Ferris Bueller Part 2, Witness Protection. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially considering what um, what you were just saying like a moment ago about how it's this very light and like living in the moment kind of movie. I was like, that takes a dark turn. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I agree with you. I think that um, it's a really interesting juxtaposition between Ferris and Cameron. And I think that, I don't know, I, I get, so I saw this um, very, very young. It's hard for me to like really um, put a timestamp on it, mm-hmm. but it actually brought a big smile to my face when you were talking about uh, having seen this at a slumber party, because even though I had already seen it, um several times I remember having like a slumber birthday party mm-hmm. when I was a kid and yeah. we all uh this was one of the movies that we watched and it was probably about like a half dozen girls and then when they you know had the twist and shout um yeah sequence we all like got up and were dancing so oh, like, that's adorable just, yeah that is ridiculously just, wholesome what <laughs> <laughs> just one of my favorite I have so many favorite moments in this movie but um but I'm curious given that you were like you said about middle school age um when you saw this like how and you okay so you're about to go into high school like Mm -hmm. did this movie at all impact how you felt your high school years would be given that you had some familiarity with other Hughes teen films like Uh how how did you feel like those characters did they at all feel relatable to you or how Mm -hmm. how did you feel about them as like teen characters it's you know that that's that's interesting that you bring that up because I remember at another slumber party I had it, it must have been like for my birthday or something we watched Breakfast Club and I remember a lot of my friends were like oh I connected with this like I had the same experience I had these same thoughts and and da 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 and like I to that point had not experienced uh, like what those characters were going through like I had mm-hmm. a pretty uh, my parents were like very supportive they're still married. And, um, so I, you know, didn't have that experience of being Mm -hmm. like, you know, some of my friends were children of a divorce. And, and, you know, I think in John Hughes's movie is like, uh, in a lot of ways, like the parents are, um, not positive figures in these kids Mm -hmm. life. And they're, they're actually adding to the stress of just being a kid. So I think like what Hughes is going like what what he wants with like most of his films is like to just let these kids be kids and be happy. Um, so yeah, it's um, it definitely like was insight into like a, a world that I had not experienced yet at that point, and thinking like, oh, okay, like uh, people had grew up differently than me and had different experiences and not everybody had a positive experience growing up or positive relationships with their family, um, especially their parents. So I, in a way it just kind of opened my eyes to that, um, and expanded my worldview, um, from this like cushy upbringing that I had. Um, but I mean, 
I remember thinking, and this is funny, this is actually a question I have for you. Um, like when I was a senior in high school, my best friend and I were like, oh, we have never ditched school before. Like that's, that's something we need to do. <laughs> and so like we were at lunch, I remember this vividly and we're like, should we just ditch school? Like, should we just leave? And we're like, okay. So we like <laughs> wrote these notes to like get out of school. And like, we both went to the attendance office, like at the same time. So of course they knew we were ditching, <laughs> but like, let well, us get well away played. with it. Well played, very smooth. <laughs> But yeah, uh, again, again, I went to art school, so I think they were like, uh, they're not going to do anything. Like, it's going to be fine. <laughs> what, so. did, what, what did you do with the rest of your day? <laughs> we, so it was like technically a half day. We didn't like have the full day. We like got in our cards and we're like, oh my God, like the world's at our fingers. And, like we had like <laughs> this whole like, I don't even know. But we're like, then when we were driving, we're like, but what do we actually do? Like, what can we do? <laughs> And, and then you said, the question isn't, what can we do? <laughs> good tie-in. Really good tie-in. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think we, like, we we tried to, like, go get our palms red. We, we, That's great. That's a great yeah. little, yeah. Yeah. But then we, like, backed out because it was, like, it was, like, a kind of weird scenario. Uh <laughs> You could have walked in and said, what are we supposed to do with the rest of this day? <laughs> yeah. In hindsight, that would have been a great question. <laughs> um, and then I think we went to Chuck E. Cheese. And yeah. I mean, like, talk about a wholesome. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah. And then like the funny part is like we were both in the same play at that time. So we had to go back to school for rehearsal. But like if you had skipped school that day, you weren't allowed to come back to rehearsal. Oh no. So we had to like, we, we had to, we had to kind of like phrase it in this way. Like, Oh, we had, we both had doctor's appointments at the same exact time. And we both came back in the same car, you know, like, so we kind of just like told the director that. And she was like, uh-huh, sure. Like she totally stopped her eyes. <laughs> and uh, like, we were like still able to go to rehearsal. Um, but yeah, that was my very, <laughs> That's amazing rebellious that you, day of ditching you ditch but then you had to sneak back in <laughs> yeah that's like literally like returning to the scene of the crime but that, exactly i yeah. i love how adorably wholesome and <laughs> just like you know what i mean that is just the cutest story i mean derek i'm gonna throw this over to you because i'm guessing julia your question was have we ever yes, ditched? yes. yeah and i'm exactly. i feel like derek might have I, yeah, I did. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I figured. <laughs> I mean, I had friends that uh, that may or may have not ditched to go to a massive orange grove that was near my high school so that they could mm -hmm. uh, smoke pot and then got caught doing that and ended up going to like juvenile hall. Oh so my it's God. not quite as wholesome as Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! But uh, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't me, but that that happened. <laughs> sure, uh, it was a friend. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my record has been expunged. I uh, mean, I I feel like I have probably the the lamest uh, ditch story because okay, at my school, th this like really negates the whole point of it. But like the school allowed a day for all the seniors to ditch. 
Yeah, which senior is uh, ditch day. yeah, senior ditch day. Yeah, okay, matter. so I didn't know this was like a thing. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh okay, okay. Um, so, <laughs> so like, so that like nobody. Sorry, I Scandal. had no idea. <laughs> so, um, you know, nobody would get in trouble. But like, what ended up happening? Okay, so like, I'm trying to ugh, I'm trying to recall this. Here's what I remember: is that I think that it was actually so. Julia, you grew up in Cal- Southern California, correct? Yes. And then Derek, for the most part, you grew up in Phoenix. Yeah, like Glendale, suburb right. of Phoenix, yeah. So mm. neither of you ever had a snow day. <laughs> no. no we, right. No, we, had, we did not have snow right. days. So that's, this was a thing in the Chicago area where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here's what I remember is that I was hanging out with friends, and I think we realized that it was probably going to be a snow day the next day at school. Uh-huh. And so we all were hanging out with the expectation that it was going to be a snow day. Well, yeah. it turned out, no, they said that we were going to have to go to school anyway. And then there was some rebel. Yeah, exactly. And then (laughs) there was some like kind of like, okay, well, can we just make this our senior ditch day? And so it was this really, really weird circumstance where, okay, I went to an incredibly small school. I only had about 85 people in my graduation class. Mm -hmm. And so about, um, although you saying you went to an art school, I'm guessing there was probably small numbers too. Yeah. We had 200 in my graduating class. Okay. Okay. Derek, what did you have? I mean, I went to just your regular public high school in Glendale where like there was only one stabbing. There was a stabbing. But oh my was goodness. Only one. I'm asking oh. about the numbers. About- yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That, that stabbing did not reduce the numbers. It wasn't fatal. <laughs> but, I mean, it was maybe thousand. Or, I mean, yeah. That's a high school. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. It was a big yeah. school. Yeah. That, that is huge. hard for me to yeah wrap my head around. I don't know. I, I yeah. I've tried to purge that memory. So in my mind, it, it like, whether it's like a thousand or one hundred, didn't uh-huh. want to be around any of them. Okay, okay. I was well, Cameron. So uh, you're Cameron. So I mean, for just just to wrap this up, um, we had about half of us. So about forty of us had gotten the message that this was supposed to be our senior ditch day, but then half of our senior class still went to school that day. So then uh, they had to make an allowance for all those kids that came to school that day. And then they got their seat. So it was just a mess. If uh, I didn't show up, yeah. no one, no one cared. There was nothing. There was no process. <laughs> I would just not show up and it would be noted that I didn't attend. Uh-huh. And I guess if I didn't attend a certain number of days, somebody would say something, but yeah, there was there was certainly no Ed Rooney making it his personal vendetta to hunt yeah. me down. This episode is really bringing out a lot of uh, <laughs> <laughs> trauma. high school trauma. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, did that guy have no other duties as a principal? Well, yeah. Actually, I mean, that's an interesting question. I mean, how, when, in your setup and, and once you finally were in high school, Mm-hmm. I mean, what was the interaction between the principal and the students? I mean, did you have anything that was like an Ed Rooney? Like how how involved were <laughs> were the was the administration in the students' lives? Um, we did we had like the equivalent, but it was the vice principal in Got our it. school. Um, yeah. I, I won't name names. He will he will remain anonymous, but <laughs> he was that guy where he was like, you know. I don't know if he was a cop at some point, but he definitely wanted to be a cop. <laughs> so he was like taking his job very seriously. Like he had the walkie and he was like constantly using the walkie. Um, and he would always like, uh, I remember just getting a lot of uh, referrals for like wearing spaghetti straps. So he was that guy, oh. which like looking back now, like at the time when you're a kid, you feel so shamed from that process that like yep. you don't, want to say anything or you don't even like have the means 
or the world experience to be like, oh, this is wrong that you're shaming Mm -hmm. young girls for what they're wearing and you're implying that it's like sexualizing Mm -hmm. or whatever, you know? So that's also weird. It says way more about Uh that guy (laughs) than anything else. I also name names. Um, And look, I I actually feel very fortunate for the high school experience I had. Uh However, I would say that, you know, nothing is a perfect um, environment. Uh-huh. or experience uh and although you know i went to i i don't know if i already mentioned this but like the reason why the numbers were so small in my school is i went to a private school mm-hmm. and um we didn't have uniforms but we did have a fairly strict dress code and you just uh triggered for me a memory where um that was i mean that was never an issue for me we this is a whole other episode but like i it was like wearing guys rugby shirts and high school like <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Whole, whole other thing. Um, but there was this one uh, individual where, the, okay, so there was a, a quote skirt length that you yeah. had to abide by. Yeah. Uh huh. And there was a student um, who, I guess, her skirt length was questionable, and this individual made her get down on her knees <gasps> so that they could measure. That's not cool. Um, oh, man. Yeah. And so I totally feel you, Julia, and uh, totally, totally get where you're coming from. Because at the time, like, <clears throat> look, it's so it what I think is also in bringing it back to the film is um, <laughs> so interesting is how you feel in high school versus how you feel several years removed from high school. And, uh-huh. you know, I get it. I actually really empathize with Cameron because Mm-hmm. you know he's in a really unhappy place um mm-hmm. it i don't know if it seemed like i never got the impression that he hated school for any reason mm-hmm. um especially having ferris as his best friend i'm i'm guessing there was like no instances of bullying or anything like that but he yeah. obviously had an incredibly unhappy home life mm-hmm. um he wasn't he wasn't particularly engaged and that's i think part of what made him work for that role mm-hmm. is that the uh what's it ruck yeah, Alan Ruck. Alan Ruck said like he was older when he was cast yeah. for that role, but he said like I wasn't particularly like engaged or quote unquote with it when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So it was kind of easy just to continue to be like not engaged at all with high school. Right. Yeah. So I don't I, I don't think it, it was like being bullied. It was just like, yeah, this this is all pointless. But yeah. like most teens of that age, I think because you, you, you can't help it you only know what your experience of life has been so far and mm-hmm. the experience of life is like 15 to 18 years yeah, yeah. so so i exactly. understand why you feel like it is literally the end of your world uh-huh if things aren't going well yeah um whereas and and i and i also get it like you hear it all the time you see it all the time where you know a teen who's going through a difficult circumstance you have adults saying like just you know, it, it'll get better. I mean, you especially hear that from like, you know, the LGBTQIA, you know, like mm-hmm. you hear that a lot, like just get out, like just power through, you'll get to a better place in adulthood. I got mm-hmm. the advice from my dad because he had a miserable time in high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's kind of this, like, I remember my parents telling me that a lot, like, it's going to get better. It's like, you know, this will not last forever. But that feeling that like, oh, this is how my life is going to be. This is the only way I'm going to experience it. I'm always going to be miserable. So yeah. One one thing that I wanted to ask you both about mm-hmm. is, so I, another reason why this film um, just 
you know, has a big place in my heart is for, first of all, when I was a child and I was going to that other school Mm -hmm. every year, you know, I lived in the Chicago suburbs and, um, we would have field trips, Mm. uh, to all the major museums. Mm -hmm. And I was incredibly fortunate that Chicago has like world-class museums, uh, Mm -hmm. chief among them, the Art Institute of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And so every year, even as children, when we didn't really appreciate it, um, we would go Mm. to like, that was always the boring one was the Art Institute because- How are you to appreciate Picasso and uh it's tough. Is, yeah, yeah, like when you're when you're yeah. eight. So you feel like you should, but you, you just, should. Right? But <laughs> you're just yeah, but you're like, why? <laughs> yeah, like, oh, and then like you always had to have your hand buddy, you know, like everybody had to partner up and like make sure you don't lose your hand buddy. And yeah. um, so that was like literally every year. And it sounds insane that I'm like complaining about that but once I was finally um in college you know you'd have breaks between classes and Columbia College was on the south side and Mm. so I would literally walk over to the art institute and at the time they had like free Tuesdays um nice and so that to me is one of the more interesting parts of the film and Uh from what I read so John Hughes also you know he grew up in the Chicago area and he um also would just spend time and the Art Institute, and from mm-hmm. what I read, that was purely like a, it's weird to say self-indulgent because that has like mm-hmm. negative connotations. And I actually think it's one of the more beautiful parts of the film yeah. Um, yeah, where, definitely. yeah, they're just like going through. And I was curious as somebody who, you know, just as somebody who has viewed the film, as somebody who has um, an art background, mm-hmm. like it, I think to some people does feel a little bit out of place in the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, because it all of a sudden goes to like kind of a very slow, kind of serious, reflective place. Uh huh. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I was curious how you felt about that sequence, if that ever had an impact on you. Um, I mean, that sequence actually has one of my favorite parts where Cameron is looking at, um, I, f- I forget the name of the, the painting, but um, I got uh, it. It <laughs> is <laughs> where it's like panning from Cameron in the picture and back yes. to Cameron. It is uh, a Sunday afternoon on the island of Le Grand Jatte by Surat. Yes, yes. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> Which um, I remember as a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, yeah, it's massive. Um, but that sequence or that that little cut back and forth is like one of my my favorite parts and like. Um, just how it keeps getting closer and closer and closer until it like signifies nothing, you know, which is like yep. almost in a way is like a metaphor for like the film itself where it's like, you know, mm-hmm. this, it, like the closer and closer and closer you get, it's like, it, it doesn't, does it really mean anything, but you, then you have to like pull back out and see it like for what it is. So it, it does kind of have this like existential, who am I moment so I think it fits. Like for me, mm-hmm. it works for Cameron. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It you is. You can see the dread in his eyes. You can see like the real <laughs> yeah. internal conflict. Yeah. And yeah. and honestly, like as you're speaking, Julia, like I'm thinking, like if this was a film, and we we'll go- get to this because we usually do, like about mm-hmm. whether or not this could have been made today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a character that like seriously needs therapy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is in a, pl- a very dark place and. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes catatonic for a brief time. Yeah. And you know, it, he is, he is a kid. Cause he's, he is a kid. Like, I know we all talked about like, he's 29, when he did this, which yeah. is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, although I feel like, um, uh, Stockard Channing in Green. Right. She, she, yeah. She, yeah. I think was 30 when she did that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
<laughs> and um yeah he he looks he looks closer to being in high school yeah, than, than yeah, she did yeah. but it's yeah it's it, no one cared <laughs> yeah it's it yeah. Like, nobody cared i mean he it, it worked um yeah. but uh yeah, it I, I agree with you on all points. I think that it it absolutely works for the character. And mm-hmm. if you didn't already understand like what this kid was going through, that that sequence really be- beautifully illustrates, at least for me, mm-hmm. um, what he's going through. And then I think you're right. I think that it has like a deeper meaning for the film itself, which it, it's like kind of a double edged sword, at least the way that I look at it, because like, yeah, they kind of are just having this fun day. Um, ultimately, it doesn't like really mean anything. But at the same time, it kind of goes back to what Fear says mm-hmm. about, you know, life is short. And if you don't take a moment to look around, you might, miss, you know, so it, I feel mm-hmm. like he was talking to me, telling me, don't be like Cameron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Don't be like, look at this example. Don't be like him. He might make it. Right. He might get killed by his dad, according to the actual actor that played him. <laughs> just, uh, I don't know if Alan Rook had any insight whatsoever as to I what the epilogue was supposed to be. It's but... canon at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, and actually one thing I'll throw out there, and I always kind of like hesitate with some of these like um don't hesitate urban legend type <laughs> stories. It's us. like eh, I don't want to like put that out there. Okay, so here's what I read, mm. that actually there was supposed to be this much bigger backstory with the Charlie Sheen character. Okay. Interesting. No, I, I knew that there was one, but I don't know what the details are. Okay, so you guys tell me how you feel about this, and if you feel like it should have remained in the film, or if you feel like it it was mm. fine to have it cut. Mm. So apparently in the, the earlier drafts of the script, um, Charlie Sheen and his family were supposed to play a bigger role in the film. And essentially mm. Ferris and his character were friends in childhood. He did come from a very troubled background. Ferris kind of like tried to extricate him from this, like not great home life and yeah. didn't really succeed because he himself was a child. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of why the Charlie Sheen character becomes a junkie and that sort of thing. And so the whole idea was that because he so-called failed, with the Charlie Sheen character, that's why he was trying so hard with Cameron to, to yeah. kind of bring him out and, and get him to um, experience life and hopefully like change his mindset. So mm. that's a totally different movie. Yes. Yeah. So Julia, like given that, uh-huh. I mean, how do you feel about the idea that they cut that? Mm. Um, I mean, Hmm. It, it does feel like it, it, it doesn't like if they had added that in the movie would have been way too long because it is yeah. like pretty pretty long for a comedy say mm-hmm. already um so that that would definitely make it more in like the breakfast club world i yes. think yeah. um so i'm actually i i'm glad they kept it out because you know as we've been talking about like this movie kind of feels like uh each john hughes movie kind of has its own thing but like this mm-hmm feels like the happiest of his his movies so I think it's like it's good that they let it stand out that way and they and they kept that out because otherwise it it would have been a downer for sure I mean so like his interaction with Jeannie or Shauna yeah (laughs) I don't understand that at all she's like some people call me Shauna like what I've never understood that me neither (laughs) yeah it makes no sense no sense. <laughs> but it seems like she doesn't know him, had never met him. Was, yeah, that's true. So, oh, good point. That's a really good point. I don't know if like what else they had to 
edit out to make that work or I read that right. um the original cut was like about an hour longer but that Holy cow. That oh my god there were a lot of other scenes and actually this goes back to something you said earlier Derek what? um yeah about uh like oh he doesn't really do anything too bad yeah and yeah. <laughs> and I, think I had things, to backpedal on that pretty quickly well some of the, I guess they could, and I don't know if it's stuff that they actually shot or just stuff that was cut from the script um but the like, drug use and they mm. No, actually, a homeless person. It got really weird in the uncut version. You're going off the rails. No, but what, what one of the at least one of the things that was cut is that Ferris calls his dad at work and asks him about these like bonds that he had, and so he uh, was supposed to go like find the bond. Take he like cashed it so that they'd have money for the day. Uh huh. And so that was like one of the things that they cut because they thought that that would portray him as being too manipulative of his parents. Yeah. Uh, and so he like, was already so I guess the the phrase is too manipulative because he's right, pretty manipulative. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. and it was like things like that that they cut because they didn't want him to come across as being kind of this like Machiavellian type character. They right. wanted him to be more wholesome. I mean, Hughes already like commented commented on that a little bit with the casting right. of, of Broderick being someone who could pull off that role and still have it feel wholesome and not like uh-huh. this like creep or like manipulative kind of kid. Well, you bring up a really great point, which I'm going to throw over to you, Julia. I mean, you talked about earlier how you would go into Blockbuster and you would see these DVDs and like mm-hmm. you still, re- it's, it has made such an impression, this image of Matthew Broderick mm-hmm. on the cover. How do you feel about the casting? I mean, we've kind of talked about Cameron and <laughs> Alan Rock being 29 years old and we're, yeah. we're all fine with that, it seems. Um, <laughs> yeah. But like, how do you feel about the main casting? I'm really curious as an actor, mm-hmm. how this has made an impact, if it has, on you. Yeah, I think. well, I think they were the perfect choices because they have such good chemistry together. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that I read that they had just worked on a uh, Broadway play together. So they already had that like, you know, um, like when sometimes when you work on a film, like, and you have to be like a best friend or like a, a spouse or, or whatever it is and have this like really intimate relationship, you don't get that time beforehand to develop the relationship mm-hmm. the same way that you would do like in a, in a, in a play. Mm-hmm. So they already had that time together. So you do get a sense like, oh, these people are friends in real life. Um, that comes across on the, in, in the film. Um, but yeah, I think Matthew Broderick, like, you know, he's definitely very charming. And uh, if it had been someone else, like I, I was reading about like the potential castings, like I think Emilio Estevez at one point was like mm-hmm. slated. And like that to me, it would have been like way too serious. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't seem like he would have had the like um, quirkiness or like the right. the lightheartedness that Matthew Broderick had. To be honest. And that's like not to yeah. throw shade at he's a great actor, but yeah. yeah, yeah, but yeah, like he's just a, a different speed and like you know, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it would have been weird to have Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez in the movie together, too. Yeah, that's a really oh, great yeah. point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were in uh, Men at Work, yeah, they were, yeah, yeah. oh, okay, they, I haven't seen that. I'll have to check that out. Fine, they're all they're, okay. They're, uh, they're... <laughs> garbage, they play garbage men in men. Yeah. yeah, it's a weird uh, movie. masterpiece. Anyway, yeah. sorry, <laughs> that, was, that was very uh, snarky. <laughs> oh, I love that movie. It's great. <laughs> I didn't mean that uh, uh, genuinely. I yeah, I, with I, the I, utmost I, respect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Well, actually, you know, and I was really curious as you were speaking, because you make a really great point. Um, As an actor, I I suppose everybody has like their preferences, but is that something that just kind of kicks in on uh, instinct or I guess also a combination of talent where you have to like Mm -hmm. pretty quickly create these really intimate relationships with like virtual strangers when you go into a project? Yeah, I think sometimes it it just comes down to like people have chemistry together Mm -hmm. or people don't have chemistry together. And that's why they have chemistry reads for that very reason, you know, um, because there is a time constraint and uh, you need to know like if these people can believably be like a, a romantic couple that's been together for 20 years, like you need to know if they can create that really quickly. Um, so I think like, obviously like would I prefer to have that time to develop and like get closer, of course. But I think what it does come down to is like certain people just have natural chemistry with each mm-hmm. other and they certainly have very good chemistry together and, um, and they complement each other really well as well where Mm -hmm. you know like they're they're very opposite like physically even like Cameron's so Mm -hmm. much taller than Matthew Broderick and like you know he's lankier um and so yeah it's it already creates a good contrast in that that's uh sense um but yeah I mean I I love Cameron and I also like I don't know if you guys watch Succession but he's on it and he plays like a super super creep (laughs) <laughs> which is like kind of funny to see like Cameron doing that. Um, but it's an amazing show. Like it, it, it's really great to see him working now because I think like in a lot of ways uh, for, for different reasons, like this movie uh, was both of their like standout roles, mm-hmm. you know, like Matthew Broderick. I, I don't know if you guys know, but like he kind of had a, a legal trouble after mm-hmm. this film. So that kind of, you know, put a a stopper to his career uh, in a sense, but, and it does have this kind of like dark side to it because it's before that, like this movie is before that happened. So Mm -hmm. watching in a retrospect, it is kind of eerie to like see it. Um, But for Cameron too, like he's like has this breakout role. It's like very, um, you know, he got a lot of praise for it. He, the critics all like, 100% loved him and you know not so much Broderick like he got good reviews but not as much as Cameron and then to see that like he has this kind of like 30-year gap where he's working but he's not Mm -hmm. working on these Mm -hmm. like you know um huge projects or whatever so it is nice to see that he's like you know getting his due because I think he is a, a really good actor and um deserves that so that's nice well I mean, you bring, you bring up so many good points. Um, I, I remember with Alan Ruck, not really, you know, about 10 years go by and I don't mm-hmm. really see him anywhere. And then all of a sudden I watch speed. Yeah. He's and like, speed. Oh my God, it's Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure we watched that. <laughs> What's that? Babe? Spin cities. The Spin city. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, okay. But. Julia, like, I, I love that you said that about his career, because that's something that I, I mean, it's not, it's not like trying to like advocate on behalf of these people who have done quite well for themselves. But like, I don't think a lot of people realize, you know, that somebody might have a breakout role, like they keep working, even if you're not necessarily seeing them, 
mm-hmm. in in different projects. And that's why, like, usually at the head of every episode, you know, I'll kind of go through um, the main cast mm-hmm. and just talk about some of the other things that they've been in. And now, of course, there are some people where, like, you know, we talked about Jack Nicholson and Batman, and it's like, Jack he's Nicholson never, things. yeah, he never went anywhere. He's fine. <laughs> you know, I know he's, like, kind of intentionally <laughs> retired at this point. But, yeah. uh, you know, so some people are just always in the spotlight. Yeah. Um, but I, I just have so much respect, um, for the individuals that they are continuing to be creative mm-hmm. and hardworking and, you know, they're just hustling, honestly, mm-hmm. um, for decades on end. And it's just a shame to me that you just kind of always get these few select, uh, you know, quote movie stars uh-huh. that are continuously in the, in the public's eye and it's not because they don't necessarily deserve it you know they mm-hmm. are talented and they do well and they make these great big features mm-hmm. um or, or really successful television shows um but yeah like i i just i don't think people realize yeah um sometimes it's they're not they don't go anywhere mm-hmm. uh they're they're working they're just mm-hmm. maybe not in things that you personally are seeing yeah uh, exactly he didn't retire after Ferris Bueller's right. Day. Right. He's like, <laughs> I'm out. That yeah. was the role of my lifetime. Exactly. Yeah. Credits. Um, and, and to your other point, you know, I um, I just want, in case like our audience didn't uh, didn't uh, know the details, I will let um, people do their own kind of research and see, mm-hmm. you know, what, what you were talking about with Matthew Brett. But kind of the short version is that he was involved in a car accident. Mm-hmm. Um, Jennifer Grey happened to be with him because they were, believe it or not, engaged um, at mm. the time. But uh, it resulted in uh, two fatalities um, in the mm. car that they hit. Um, and so that is the the legal issues that Julia, for everybody out there, had been referring to. Um, mm. And and you're right. Like I think also what's really interesting, part of the reason why I was asking you specifically as an actor about how you felt of uh, Broderick's performance in this is because, you know, we all hear the term like uh, typecasting, mm-hmm. especially once you get like, you know, Mark Hamill with mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker. And He's you... cast as a Jedi and everything after that. Jedi. So you sometimes get um, these roles, which they're incredible. And like, yeah. I have to admit, I will always think of Matthew Broderick as Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't I, think of him as the uh, guy from Biloxi blues. <laughs> well, that's just it is that it's interesting. Cause like, let's fast forward. And I, you know, I don't want to get too far off Ferris, but like, mm-hmm. you know, you fast forward to a film like election. Yeah, oh my God. Like, yeah. Ferris Bueller is like kind of a dick in this school. He's a pretty gross <laughs> character. Yeah. 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 And I think that there was, you know, I think I even read it that like it was completely intentional. You know, uh-huh. I think both on his part and the part of the filmmakers to to put somebody that we all know and love yeah. in that role. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting to see how because like I remember I mean it's a great movie. If you for mm-hmm. people out there, it's not an 80s film, but um <laughs> go out and see it. It's dead to me. It's uh it's a really <laughs> great film. I mean remarkable performances by both him and Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Um, but he plays a pretty unlikable character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, he is the Rooney in that movie. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Was he the assistant or in these fictional high schools, there is no assistant because as we've discussed previously, <laughs> it's really the assistant principle that you have to watch out for. Yeah. He's the authoritarian <laughs> Yeah. who's like walking around with the walkie and like staying and doing like questionable things which i meant to right. bring this up 
when we were kind of on that, like another thing has nothing to do with 80s movies at all, but Vice Principals with Danny McBride, another great show, mm-hmm. like hilarious. I think it only ran like two or three seasons, but um, yeah. but so it's a real quick watch if you have the means, um, <laughs> yeah. but it's hilarious and it is exactly that. It's kind of yeah. accurate. That was, yeah. that was my experience with assistant principals. Yeah. yeah. Vice yeah. principals. I don't really dynamic. remember. Assistant to the principal? I have uh, a nice, nice office reference. Uh, We're, we're all over the place. Um, I, I, gosh, I really don't know if I should. So I, I don't, I don't have any recollection of an uh, assistant principal or vice principal at my school. I'm guessing there was one, but it was, it was actually my principal who, uh, I didn't have fond memories of. Okay. Mm. That's fine. Um, You can say it. He made a pretty, in my opinion, egregious mistake and mm. this is gonna sound really weird saying this but like okay so essentially he came to me my senior and told me that i was going to be valedictorian uh-huh. which was a big deal for me because in in uh middle school our junior high i was i was salutatorian nobody knows what a salutatorian is, what is that? <laughs> it's the the person with the second highest okay uh, oh. and so this was a big deal for me because it's like yes I mean, to be, to be quite like shallow about it, I'm number one, you know? And, and so I was like sure. super stoked about it. Well, he made a mistake. And so he had a call. Yeah. He had called me out of class to tell me this or no, no, no. I, I got called to, to the office between classes. That's when he first told me about um, being valedictorian. I was like over the moon, go oh my to my God. next class, knock on the door five minutes later, ask the teacher if he could pull me out. Uh-huh. He pulls me out during class and just like really quickly was like, oh, sorry. Uh, so it made a mistake. You're actually salutatorian, but oh, still a great honor. Thanks. Bye. And like, I mean, you could tell he was like embarrassed by his mistake. And I don't really know how that mistake happened. Yeah. Um, but I remember like literally from that day forward, I was like, I hate you. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I, was, like, no. I was like, you are, you are dead to me. Yeah. <laughs> And oh uh, anyway, so I have strong feelings about actual principles. I certainly <laughs> have uh, no teacher or assistant principal or anyone in any official capacity of my high school ever made the mistake of thinking that I was the valedictorian. Oh, uh, <laughs> it, it, uh, I mean, look, it was a school of 80 kids. It's like, it, you know, it's, it's, look, it's I didn't not... get stabbed. I wasn't valedictorian. It <laughs> yeah. was fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anywhere in between those two yeah. you're good right anyway so bring it back to fair i feel like i've said that a lot but we just have a lot of fun stuff to talk about um yeah yeah ferris, so ferris himself mm-hmm. um as this kid who kind of has this like charmed life mm-hmm. he talks about like you know what a bummer it is that he doesn't have a car mm-hmm. but other than that, it's the worst thing that's happened to this right, kid in right. his life. He doesn't have a car yet. Yeah. Is that he doesn't have a car yet? Because he'll get a car eventually. He'll eventually get a car. Likely. He's yeah. in Chicago. Do you even need one there? Not not as much. And it's fine. yeah. Yeah. Well, no, in the suburbs, you absolutely need a car. Yeah, you can take the train. Yeah. I mean, I guess speak from experience. Um, <laughs> Chicago proper, you're cool. But um, right. in the suburbs, no, you need a car. Mm. Um, so he has kind of a charmed life. Mm-hmm. And actually, to one of your earlier points, Julia, in contrast to the other Hughes teen films, he has what seems to be a really great relationship with his parents. Mm-hmm. They got married in real life. They also got divorced. They did? Well, um, oh. yeah. Yeah. 
Oh. oh, I'm sorry, Julia. You didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's so funny. Oh, oh my God. I'm sorry to break that. Yeah. It is a wow. really neat story. And look, we don't know the details of, of why that marriage ended. But um, Should they get remarried to each other? No, I don't think Damn so. Damn it. I don't think so. Oh, man. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, so I hope they're just both happy. Now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they're yeah, very so- supportive, but they're kind of dumb. Sure. Yeah. He's literally acting like an eight-year-old. Yeah. He's acting like if I was his parents, the least of my worries would be his possible illness. And I'd be more worried about like, what is wrong with our son? His cognitive strength. Why is he Um, They're just kind of going along with it, like, okay, that's fair. Yeah. No, he goes through, like, immediate arrested development when they walk into his room. But, um, Mm -hmm. uh, but they're, you know, like, one thing that I actually find really endearing, and I love that this is in the film, is when his dad calls him just to check in on him. Yeah. Uh And you know where I'm going with this. And, uh, you know, he's like, oh, I think all this talking's made me lightheaded. And, and, you know, as we're wrapping up the call, dad's like, love you, bud. And Ferris is like, I love you too. I, I just, it, it is such a small moment, but to me, it's a huge moment because mm-hmm. especially in the eighties film, you're showing like open emotion and vulnerability uh, between a father and son. Yeah. And good point. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Like I, it's such a small thing, but I think that that is a lovely thing to show. Mm-hmm. And it's not to take away from, um, other depictions of you know the parent teen relationships in in the other Hughes films, mm-hmm. but you don't see a lot of that. Like even in um, Pretty in Pink, yeah, actually, yeah, I was thinking that you know, mm-hmm. like Harry Dean Stanton, he's he he's a really interesting character, but like she's mm-hmm. essentially taking care of him. Yeah, you know, yeah, like true. he is. I think I want to say you know he has his issues. I think with alcoholism. I mean, obviously it's mm-hmm. hard. His wife left him. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on that ship with the alien. Oh my goodness! <laughs> no- yes, you're. I. It, I mean, a great film. It's such a shame that that's not an '80s film. Um, which which one? Alien. Oh oh, he's yeah, in that. Yeah. It's been yeah. so long since I've seen it. Okay. Oh, if that man, if that was an '80s film, oof. Because technically been a- it's '79, right? But it feels yeah. like an '80s film. Yeah. Right? I know it's like right on the cusp. Dang. I know, dang it. But um so yeah, like you don't really have any portrayals of the parents like really taking care of the kid. Mm-hmm. And except kind of in this. I mean, you have like in some kind of wonderful the parents are there um they're like almost to like an obsessive degree uh mm-hmm. you know, wanting to oh, yeah. to control yeah. Keith's future. Mm-hmm. Um that's possibly Cameron's dad except he wants to control him, but not maybe he's disinterested in his future. He just wants to control him while he's at the house. Yeah, yeah. I think he's not yeah. as well intentioned. You know, like he just doesn't mm-hmm. want him to have to have a blue collar future like he he had to, you know, mm-hmm. have. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, remember when that was the way we used to think about things? <laughs> God, yeah. <laughs> there's a, there, yeah, there's a lot to unpack between all of the different films. I don't uh, want you wasting all your money on college. well no he keith was saving money for college but then decides to buy diamond earrings for amanda joe i don't know why why he felt like he needed to do that anyway that's a whole 
we'll we'll do that maybe at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Unpack that. Yeah. Yeah. But coming back to Ferris, like, um, <laughs> <laughs> Title of this episode is going to be <laughs> coming back to Ferris. Back to Ferris. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you have like I I have like kind of a angle that I'm going for, but I want to hear both of mm. your opinions of like how do you actually feel about Ferris? Is he somebody that you like? Is he somebody that you envy? Is he somebody that you are kind of like annoyed by because how mm. perfect his life is? Like, how do you feel well, about this character? I think my feelings on the character of Ferris have changed, you know, over the, over the years. I didn't really particularly like him that much. Mm-hmm. And I, I like legitimately did identify more with Cameron mm-hmm. yeah. in the movie when I first saw it. I think he's more, he's just more relatable because like people, at least I could relate to not having like a perfect home life or not mm-hmm. feeling like you fit in, in high school that well mm-hmm. versus like, I don't know how I could possibly relate to this kid that's able to like hack in possibly probably change his grades as well as his uh number of absences mm-hmm. kind of everything just works for him like everybody likes him mm-hmm. like so yeah i'm like this guy's like kind of fuck this guy i don't <laughs> i don't kind of like you know sure. is it because sometimes it's you know well I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna zip it so that i can hear your answer julia well, yeah, what I will say is like before I, I definitely like identified with Cameron too, which I think Cameron is just everybody in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but before he's in the movie, Ferris is like the most likable, in my opinion, like before the introduction of Cameron, like, you know, he's like, you know, he's doing all these funny things is like kind of like mocking his parents with the like, you know, kind of like regression into mm-hmm. behaving like a child. <laughs> Um, so there is kind of like a charming quality in the beginning, but then when Cameron gets introduced and you kind of see like how he like pictures himself above Cameron, like he definitely has this like idea that he's better than him. That's Mm -hmm. when he, he starts becoming less likable in my eyes. So, and then Cameron like becomes the more like, you know, every man in the story versus Ferris. So, um, yeah, I, I think like the charm of him getting away with whatever he wants, like definitely fades like pretty quickly. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I mean, I have kind of a, a little bit of a love hate with him because there's a part of me that like envies him that, Mm -hmm. I mean, look when I think that when I was, when I saw this as a, as a child Mm -hmm. and teenager um, many times over, there was a lot of envy and yeah. look, I didn't, I didn't have like a poor high school experience by any means, but I certainly wasn't Ferris Bueller, you know, and no one was. And, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and like, look, I mean, you brought up something interesting earlier, Julia, when you were talking about um, middle school girls, because I, I totally heard what you were saying. Again, I had a positive middle school and high school experience, but I will say that kind of like the click clicky behavior uh-huh. was, was much more extreme in, in middle school. Mm-hmm. or in junior high and once everybody got to high school sure there's the popular group but everybody kind of just settled into their own friendships like more than anything sure yeah um and so but but yes there was a an envious part of me that this kid had just this you know at basically adoration of the entire school minus rooney mm-hmm. um i mean even grace seems to be enamored with him <laughs> okay. and, and right i love right oh, edie mcclure she's so great um yeah so, so there's that part of it. And then like, I envy him, but then like, I, ha- you know, kind of hated him for that. Like, oh, yeah, perfect life. But now, like now when I watch it now, 
he's just like he's not even like a real character. He's like this manifestation of what you mm-hmm. would want in just having a day where you could do whatever right. you want. And True. so That's I don't point. really, yeah, I don't feel the same way about him or the movie as I used to. I, I think it, it's, it's a fun movie. Mm-hmm. I don't have like that same, like, fuck this guy. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> yeah. feeling it. It's more like, yeah, this is, this is fun. Like that's, uh, it's fun. Yeah. I think we would all be in trouble if, as like fully fledged adults, we we would be like jealous or like, yeah, we'd be Rooney, we'd be Rooney. Which actually, you know, one thing that's interesting that I wanted to bring up because this has always been something I'm like, this doesn't even make sense. Is Mm -hmm. apparently, you tell me if you guys already knew this that the scene with Rooney at the very end where he gets on the bus that was taken kind of out of context. They were supposed to use that in a different section of the film Hmm. much earlier. Because he was, um, let me kind of try to properly recall what I read. Basically, uh, he thought that like the cops were maybe after him because of him trying to break into like Ferris's house. Okay, uh-huh. and so he needed like kind of a place to hide out, and that's why that that bus scene was supposed to take place then, and huh. that's why he got onto the bus. But for whatever reason, they didn't use it then. But then that's always why it's like, well, why is why is there a bus full of kids at like six o'clock at night? Yeah. Like it didn't yeah. make any sense. That's, that is they, a good uh, point. Yeah. They said they're going to be getting home at six. So yeah. They, yeah. They show up. And then after that, the bus shows up. Right. Shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. I guess, that, I mean, it, it, like, look, it, you don't have to think too hard about this movie. Sometimes. This movie's garbage. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, it makes for a really awesome, you know, closing credits. We get a... Uh, Oh, I yeah. thought I was going to ask you. You referenced the song, mm, and uh-huh. uh, I, I was going to ask whether or not you were familiar with that song on "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia." <laughs> oh my God, is that? Yeah, I was trying to think of the the TV show where they um, they bow bow song. Yeah, the yeah. I thought it was New Girl for some reason, but yes, it's totally "It's Always Sunny." You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So now whenever I watch the movie and hear the song, I think of Mac and Charlie doing the day bow bow song. Yes. Yes. Thank you for, I was like racking my brain on what TV show I, I saw that on. So thank you for clearing that up. Which, so it, for, for anybody who doesn't know, it, the song is called, Oh Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is not and, the day bow bow song. And it, it is, is, oh yeah. <laughs> and it is by Yellow, Y-E-L-L-O. <laughs> And apparently um, it didn't get like a great reception when it first came out. And this, I mean, mm. makes every sense in the world. This movie made it a hit. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it is a, it is a great song. It absolutely, I mean, it has gone on to have a life beyond Ferris Bueller, but I, I mm-hmm. will always associate it with Ferris Bueller. Oh yeah. Of course. Um, yeah. So yeah. So <laughs> we have had an amazing conversation i could we could you know we joke about this being a five hour long podcast it would um it, it, it might be one day maybe maybe one day um but to to kind of come to this final question like mm-hmm. do you think that a film like this could be made today have you seen anything that you feel is like you know mm-hmm. i don't know rip off is kind of the most crass term to use but like or mm-hmm. inspired by a fair like like mm-hmm. do you feel like anything like this could be made today Um, I think, um, in a sense, like maybe there, there are definitely qualities that like have been reused in other teen comedies. Like, you know, the parade scene is like definitely an inspiration for the 10 things I hate about you scene, which is like amazing. Uh, both, I love both of those for sure. Um, but what, like, as you know, children of the eighties and nineties, like 
there is this sense that like, you know, when you were a kid, your parents kind of let you go roam around. Mm-hmm. And um, now I think like it's more common for parents to, you know, like keep a very watchful eyes over their kids. So I don't know if that quality would be um, captured like in a movie today, because I remember like, you know, both my parents worked. And so like in the summers when we weren't in school, yeah. like we were, you know, just walking around, <laughs> you know, the yeah. city and like, so, um, yep. so yeah, I don't know if that like, you know, that wouldn't translate to a modern film by any means, but, um, yeah, there are definitely like charming aspects of this film. Like, you know, the, uh, like different characters that they make and like how they kind of outsmart these adults. Like you, you definitely see that, um, in a lot of films like since then and still today, but it also might be like easier to get caught now because oh, of social media. Totally. Yep, yeah. <laughs> a movie that a lot of things wouldn't happen if there yep. were just smartphones. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something that is is unfortunately true of a lot of films. You know, <laughs> several decades removed. Yeah, um, and I think I think you're both right. Um, that. I mean, like, look, if you even have a tracker on your kid's cell phone, like, you know, mm-hmm. the second they walk out the door. I mean, you know, I think like, of, it's it's not really, I mean, maybe they were inspired, but I think of movies like Superbad or Booksmart, yeah. where yeah. there are some similarities. It's not, mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to be, be able to make something quite like Ferris Bueller, but mm-hmm. I think that probably did offer uh, some inspiration. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Where you get to see kids kind of like in their own element without the adults. The adults are, are present, but it's really about these experiences the kids are having at, at those ages. Yeah. Yeah. And I think those are two really good examples of Booksmart mm-hmm. and Superbad. Well, of- Booksmart, they actually made use of smartphones. Like it was actually yeah. like part of and involved in how they were trying to get things done mm-hmm. and, and go places. Mm-hmm. Like, because mm-hmm. trains and automobiles doesn't happen if there's an Uber. I am <laughs> very curious how they're going to remake that one. Very curious yeah. how they're going to pull that off. Are um, they remaking it? Is that actually in the Yeah. What? Yeah. Moving forward with that. Yep. yep. Huh. So we'll, we shall see. Planes, trains, and lifts. I do think that... <laughs> um, I do think uh, that... What this film had on its side was the fact that John Hughes already had several hits under his belt and sure, was, yeah. you know, a proven uh, commodity. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that like if you were to pitch, yeah, it's just about this. I mean, like to me, look to me, it's a fun idea. Like eh, it's about a kid who skips school for the day. Mm-hmm. But probably Sold. right. <laughs> like in today's world, it's like okay, but what else? Like you know, like mm-hmm. there there. Has- there, there would have to be so much more. And actually, even in the comparisons that you made, Derek, of Superbad and there's a lot Booksmart, more. There's a lot more. Yeah. That Tons, does happen. Yeah. So yeah. this this is kind of the most wholesome and simplistic of those types of films. For sure. And I think mm-hmm. that it just really came back to John Hughes being able to get it greenlit. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's a good which, point. You know, lucky for all of us because it's a great film. Yeah. Uh Julia, <laughs> thank you you so much for being part of the state like it has just been such a pleasure to have you on the show we've had so much fun oh me too thank you so much for having me for introducing me into the world of podcasts <laughs> so yeah this was the most surprisingly therapeutic podcast that I've <laughs> yeah got, got, got through a lot of my high school issues <laughs> 
the most revealing podcast that we've had. <laughs> really go into uh, our lives on this, but um, yeah. it's kind of hard not to though with something like this that like is kind of a universal experience. High school, true, yeah. yeah. And it speaks to the to the movie and how how it like affects you and how yeah. you, like mm-hmm. it brings up all these memories. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So oh, yeah. Julia, um, we are six months into a very bizarre. <laughs> Uh, our state of of things in the world Um, and I know that that sometimes can have a real impact especially on creatives but um, I would love to just hear what you've been up to um, this year and and what you might have on the horizon of course of course so um, I finished my film like early this year in in January (laughs) as and Anna you were there to help so thank you again for helping out on set I I really appreciate it Um, and, but of course, like we, uh, finished right as this hit. So festival season got a little, um, different, <laughs> which, you know, as well with, um, she had it coming. So we had to pivot a little bit, but, um, we've gotten in a couple of smaller festivals. So we are officially like on a <gasps> festival run. Congratulations. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. And what's the name of your film? It's, uh, oh yeah, of course. Uh, Melon Ruby and directed by the amazing, incredibly talented Oran Zegman. Um, she definitely look her up. She's got some amazing work already and she's going to have a very successful career ahead of her uh, starring myself and Skylar Shock, uh, which like, you know, buddy comedy with uh, Ferris Bueller and like this uh, Melon Ruby in a lot of ways was my way of uh, trying to have more female uh, buddy movies out there. So this that's actually perfect. <laughs> We're talking about this film today. Okay. And you also wrote this film? I, I wrote it and produced it. Yeah. Uh, we had a crowdfunding um, campaign with it through Seed and Spark. So it was, it's definitely my baby. And, uh, I'm so proud to see that it's, it's getting legs even during quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, like as an actor, I've got, um, some little videos that I'm putting up on my Instagram, you know, where I'm just doing scenes with friends or, you know, scenes where I'm enlisting my boyfriend's help off camera, of course. Um, so just as a way of staying creative and Absolutely. also still, you know, showing the world what I can do. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. I mean, good on you for doing that. Cause like, like I said, it, this, this, uh, state of things has left, I'm assuming nobody unaffected, Mm -hmm. but it is especially difficult for creatives where so Mm -hmm. much of the work comes from collaboration Mm -hmm. in person, like in person, interacting with people, actually interacting with people. (laughs) Um, and Uh, you know, I don't, this again can be like a whole other podcast, but we've briefly talked about it with other guests because um, almost entirely all of our guests are creatives and mm-hmm. uh, you know, outside of being a, a major studio or a big production company, you know, it's very difficult. Like so much filmmaking is done, you know, guerrilla style or, mm-hmm. you know, super low budget, super independent, which means very limited funds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if you're not in a position where you can, um, secure the safety and health of the people involved you may not be making a film or a web series or whatever right now mm-hmm. um, and yeah. so so it is so important for creatives to try to find ways to still remain creative and, mm-hmm. and do what you know hopefully brings them joy until we get 
back to a place of more normalcy. Mm -hmm. So, but that's fantastic. I am so thrilled to hear about the festivals and, um, again, Mel and Ruby, uh, you know, if you have the means, look it up, try to find a way to see the film when and if you can through these festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm so that's that is awesome news. Congratulations. Thank you. And congratulations to you as well on your festival. Oh, thank you for <laughs> first festival uh, acceptance. It's and huge. In case we haven't made this uh, clear already. Julia is in the film. <laughs> And she had it coming and she is an amazing character and actor in it. So um, really excited for the world to see you uh, <laughs> when, when the time comes. So thank you yeah. again, Julia. It has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I've had so much fun today. And so that was our, as always, amazing conversation with our special guest. This time it was Julia Manis. And yeah, it was just great to talk to her. And yeah. like like you were saying. Um, I worked through so many issues in that call. A lot of personal stuff came up yeah. in, uh, for both of us. You know, I never, I, ne- I actually failed to um, mention the infamous <laughs> high school. And I know that there are some listeners here who have also gone to lovely, just lovely Ironwood High School in Glendale, Arizona. And I just want to send a shout out to uh, to Ironwood and its administration. Thank you, thank you so much. It's did dripping a, did a with great, disdain. You do you do a great job. Never change. Moving on. Moving on. No, but it was it was a really fun conversation, and you know we we've talked about how like I I mean it's really hard to separate this film in particular out from I think our personal lives because. Everybody for for the look. I know there are outliers to this, but like the high school experience is a universal experience. It is, you know, even with differences among public school versus private school versus going to school on the East Coast or West Coast or Midwest. Um, so yes, all those different differences aside, it is a universal experience, and so it's hard not to bring up your own experience when you're talking about a film like this. Yeah, it's different. It's significantly different now than what we oh my gosh you know yeah grew up with I think totally what we had was probably closer to what you see in some of these 80s movies yeah but um regardless it's still it's still something that everyone goes through where it's like where in some ways you're you're growing as a person more than at any other time I agree and I I think that Julia did a really nice job of kind of like being able to tie you know her experience back to like how it impacted her feelings on the film and vice versa. So, so yeah, it was a great conversation. Alrighty. So as far as what I watched this film again, I mean, for me, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't dare me to watch it again because I will. Right. I mean, I have a particular love for John Hughes. I in fact studied these films for school. Um, And so this is a, a, one of, several of his films that I just are near and dear to my heart. Um, it, it actually brought up like a lot of, uh, great emotional 
memories for me and I kind of talked you know talked about it a little bit with uh Julia just in terms of like the twist and shout scene where you know I had my my birthday slumber party (laughs) and um and just seeing you know them downtown and uh definitely there's like a little bit of like homesickness that uh kicks in when I see that um so more so than his other although they're all in Illinois, well, except for some kind of wonderful, um, they're all in Illinois. They're all in this, you know, fictional town of Shermer, Illinois. Um, but it, this film more the more so than an, and sorry, I'm tripping up on my words just because I am getting kind of emotional about it. It, it brings back a lot for me. So, um, this will always be uh, a film that I will want to see, and yeah, just love it. I don't know if we mentioned how much, just how much work John Hughes put into making this script. <laughs> But he spent actually less than a week. Yeah, which is actually longer than some of his other scripts. That's the thing. We talk about that in Breakfast Club. We do. Um, This guy just literally, literally punches out scripts, or he did. Um, Yeah, no, I I, um, with us. I love this movie and we'll watch it again and again. And the next time we are in Chicago, I will do the last, the same thing that I did the last time we were there, which is play that same song that is played during that montage when we're driving into the city. Because now either like one of two songs, either that or Sweet Home Chicago from the Blues Aww. Brothers. I always play those when we're driving from uh, wherever we're staying into the city. So you do, uh, yeah, and it's I, awesome. Yeah, I love the movie. I love that montage just because the the looks you get to the city. Even though I know you mentioned that it's like kind of the approach they have on that on that montage feels a little bit dated. But that's part yeah. of what I what I enjoy. What about you it. like about it? Yeah. So I like this movie. I. Um, I've gotten over whatever teenage envy I had over the fictional character of Ferris Bueller, which is great and allows me now to just enjoy this. Well done. Yeah. Good, good on you to yeah. go through that. Um, okay. So, you know, as far as like call to action, I was thinking about this. And we, we talk about it with Julia We're with yes. all of our different experiences. You know where I'm going with this. What would you do on your day off? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that would be a great call to action, whether if you never did, well, I don't know, should I, should it be like if people did skip school in high school or like, what would you do with a day off today? I mean, in a kind of theoretical version, because there's not a lot that a lot of people can do. Let's do it either or let's not limit. All right. Yeah. Let's not limit. So if you want to let us know what either you did in high school on your day off or what you would do now on your day off, you can get in touch with us uh, through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. It's the same handle for all three. It is at 80s Montage Pod and 80s is 80S. And we would love to hear from you. We would. All right. Please talk to us. (laughs) Please, please talk to us. We're so lonely. (laughs) Um, Sneak peek next episode coming up in two weeks yeah what is it it's my pick isn't it which is why i can't remember no ferris was your pick oh shit okay although like i kind of hijacked it a (laughs) little bit um so this is my pick romancing the stone this movie is um it has nothing to do with raiders of the lost ark (laughs) and it has some of the worst montage music like the most misplaced music that you will ever hear while two people are trapped in a vehicle going down a runaway river into a waterfall. And we will totally get into that because yeah. the the person behind that score has had an amazing career. Yeah. So it's, you know, we all we all start somewhere. 
but it's a comedy and it's hilarious just hearing that song of like this is this is it is like in some ways very classic 80s yeah. rom-com yeah yeah very much so but it's a, a great movie danny devito <laughs> Kathleen turner <laughs> That's funny that he's the first person. He is the first person I think for of. you. Yeah. It also stars two people by the names of Kathleen Turner and Hello, Michael Douglas. Yeah, those so. secondary characters help Danny DeVito's <laughs> character really move the story. So, all right. So stay tuned for that coming up next. And as always, thank you so much for being with us. We really, really appreciate it. Stay safe. Stay cool. <laughs>